Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Cassie. And I'm Christina. Have you ever had a guy you're dating try and pick up your brother? Have you ever been on a date where a guy showed up wearing the exact same outfit as you? Have you ever been on a date where the guy sniffs you as a greeting? If so, this just might be the podcast for you. Tune in to My Worst Date. Because let's face it, misery loves company. This one's going out to all the ladies. know how many fucking beer stores i went to a lot. trying to literally with the exception of colony beverage literally every single one within like a 15 mile radius woof yeah and i even had mike go to westmere beverage to check and see Jeez, Louise. if they had it and they fucking didn't so I had to find a completely different beer, which I guess still works. Right. It's but at fine. the same time, this is what happens when I... we pick subjects based on, I really like this artist. Yeah. But... And then I'm like, oh shit, I have the perfect beer to go along with this episode. So let me go get it. Because every place I went to last week had it. But guess what? It's gone. Every place that I went to this week doesn't fucking have it anymore. And it's gone. I wanted to rip my fucking hair out. Yeah. That's why sometimes we just do things based on the beers we find. And it was so good, too. It would have been such a great pun. And ugh, now and I it can't was robbed do it. from you. It was robbed it was from robbed. all of us. I was robbed. We were all robbed. Everybody was, really. Our audience was robbed. Yes. <laughs> it would have been great. Yes. Welcome to Rock Candy Podcast, where, <laughs> where, where we, we just are, bitch and complain about everything. We were, we've been robbed of our opportunities. First world white people problem. They can't find the beer I wanted. I mean, it's it's a sleepy Monday. I think I think we get to complain about it, but that's just me. We are also your podcast, bringing you <laughs> weekly sweet treats of stories from the world of music, and we are your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week we had a fun one. Yeah. Even though yeah. even though the beer the beer pun was robbed from us. It was. We were talking about Cindy Lauper. Woo Yeah. She's just so unusual. <laughs> Who is this Cindy Lauper? Why is she so unusual? (laughs) Why are we like Jersey salesmen? I don't know. Because she's kind of like a Jersey salesman, even though she's from Queens. Oh, okay. I was like, I didn't think she was from Jersey, but all right. There we go. She's from Queens. Yeah. But yes, I'm uh, in contrast from last week's episode. I think we've got a little bit more of an upper. Um, Yeah. I mean, it is still Women's History Month, so, I mean, of course, it's not going to be without its bullshit. Yep, there's a lot of bullshit in Cindy's story, but for the most part, it is an upper and not a downer. Right. I mean, I'm excited. I know some things, but not a lot, so... I learned a lot about Cindy Lauper. I kind of remember watching the Behind the Music back in the day. Yeah, the Behind the Music did not cover nearly as much as they could have. Understandably so. It's a family... Uh, sh- was a family show. Yeah, 
But we're not really a family show, right. so I'm going to get into everything. I mean, we're filling a couple voids here. because A lot of voids. I mean, first there of all... There were a lot of voids left by Behind the Music. There's no more Behind the Music, so yeah. we need to take up that mantle, clearly. Yeah. But secondly, we throw in a lot of swear words and dick jokes, and mm. that was really what was lacking in Behind the Music. <laughs> we definitely fill in those gaps. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And for our beer this week, we are drinking from Hudson Brewing Co., Wayward Woman! You have to say it like that because there's an exclamation there point. <laughs> wayward woman. Yeah. I'm glad there's no comma after wayward, though, because otherwise this still wouldn't have worked. Wayward. Woman. Yeah. Wayward. Ah, oh, I see what see? you're doing there. It is a delightful Kolsch. It's really I good. I, I'm not even going to I don't really know what a Kolsch is. I couldn't tell you, but I know I like them. I mean, they're nice and crisp and delightful. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know what? It's kind of a summer beer. It's a, it's, you know what? It's kind of a spring beer. Mm. It's got that nice snappy crispness to it. That says like, someday the grass is going to be green again. <laughs> someday you'll see your lawn again. Are you excited for that day? We are. Yeah. I, at this point, I don't think I'm, it's ever going to happen. My lawn is either snow or mud. That's all it is. Snow mud. Snow or mud or dog shit or whatever. <laughs> oh, I mean, our yards are both always dog shit. Yeah. It's half dog shit. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens to you own dogs. Shout out to dogs. And their owners. Yes. <laughs> Mostly us. Their owners. <laughs> and on that note. On that note, I guess let's fucking dive right into our girl, Cindy Lopa. She's so unusual. Okay. <laughs> How many, is this going to be the next for Pete's sake? <laughs> yes. Yes, it okay. is. All right. Just so everybody's warned. We're going to be saying that a lot. Yes. I mean, I'm pretty much done with my first beer, so. It's about time. Oh, mine was done like 20 minutes You're, ago. <laughs> you are a bit more of a professional than I am. Yeah, my tolerance level is way too high now. I yeah. need to cut it down. I had to eat that wrap too, so. Oh, yeah, you I ate. had to slow myself down a little. Yeah. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Cindy Lauper. So Cynthia and Stephanie Lauper was born in Astoria, Queens on June 22nd, 1953. What about Queens. What is that a saying? It is now. <laughs> that's from an SNL bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's why I don't know it. <laughs> she was the middle child, flanked by her older sister Ellen and younger brother Butch, all of whom spent their very early years living in Brooklyn. His with name the- was actually Butch. His name was Fred. Oh, okay. He was he was Fred Junior, but his the, everybody called him Butch. Okay, okay. I just I had to make sure. <laughs> Sorry. Please continue. <laughs> but they all spent their early years living in Brooklyn with their mother Katrine, who was a Sicilian immigrant, and their father Fred. But by the time Cindy was five, Katrine and Fred were divorced, and Cindy and her siblings moved to Queens. Katrine moved her family to the working class neighborhood of Ozone Park, where the rest of Cindy's tight knit family also lived. Also, that's where Sonic the Hedgehog had to fight Robotnik. Really? Isn't there an Ozone Park level in Sonic? Oh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure there is. What a time to be alive when <laughs> Sonic and Cindy are living in the same neighborhood. <laughs> yes. I need that fan art. Yep. In fact, Cindy's grandparents owned the two-family house they lived in, which Cindy described as having shingles that looked like good and plenty candy. Oh, that's adorable. A little candy house. Yeah. While her grandparents lived upstairs, her aunt and uncle and cousins lived next door. And this is where Cindy and her siblings would live through her teenage years in their own familial familial micro neighborhood. 
It was a rough time being a single mom raising three kids, but Katrine hustled at her job as a waitress to support her family. But it wasn't all work, work, work. Katrine loved the arts and would take her kids into the city whenever she could to visit art museums and watch plays on Broadway. She even brought her kids to see the Beatles motorcade when they came to Manhattan. Wait, what? Yeah, the Beatles had a motorcade into Shea Stadium when they were performing in Manhattan. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, so Katrine brought her kids there and Cindy Lauper lost her mind. Yeah, I I would too. Yeah. That's the appropriate reaction to the Beatles motorcade. That's where you're you're like contractually obligated to lose your fucking mind when the Beatles came They actually have waivers to be signed. (laughs) It's not for safety. It's you are obligated to lose your mind when you see the Beatles. You get extra points if you fainted. Ooh. Here's a dollar. Good job, sweetie. <laughs> Good job, sweetie. Here's a candy bar. Ooh, I would faint for the Beatles for a candy bar. <laughs> well, all right. Depends on what candy bar. A York peppermint patty. No, yeah, get the fuck out of here with no. that shit. I would drop kick that shit out of Manhattan. I would. I would leave the Beatles motorcade if you dare offer How me. How dare you insult me with this peppermint patty? My God. How dare you? How dare you? However, take five. We can. We can talk. We can we negotiate. Can talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Payday, I'm okay with that. I would, I would take a payday, Yay. but um, hundred grand, we're in mm. business. So this, no doubt, highly influenced young Cindy, who discovered a love of music at a young age, listening for hours to rock bands like the Beatles, but also old school crooners like Billie Holiday. Oh, she also loved her mother's musical scores, singing along to West Side Story and South Pacific, becoming a favorite pastime of hers. When she was 12, her sister gave her her first guitar and she immediately took up songwriting. Being a songwriter wasn't the only thing that made Cindy different than everybody else. Basically, everything about her made her stand out in a crowd. After her career took off in the early 80s, everyone would know her for her electrocute hair and rainbow-fied wardrobe, but that was never a shtick. She started dyeing her hair crazy colors when she was a teenager and wore crazy outfits on the regular. This was also when she, at the advice of a friend, changed her name from the uber normal C I N D Y to C Y N D I. Oh, see, there see? You go. see, I never looked at her look as a shtick. I always thought that was just who she was, and it one hundred percent was. Yeah, I mean that's basically who I was, but she made it look really cool. Yeah, I was just a mess. <laughs> I also, also, my we mom tried. would not let me dye my hair, so. Yeah. Maybe that would have helped. I always wanted to know what she dyed her hair with back then. It had to be Kool-Aid. It had to be. Or, like, other weird things. Yeah. Because, like, I don't think even Manic Panic existed back in the early 80s. N- yeah. I think it was late 80s, maybe. I have to I have to look that up. I don't remember. But, yeah. yeah. Although Cindy seemed to fearlessly express herself how she wanted to, she still f- felt like an outcast. She was bullied in school for being different to the point where kids actually threw rocks at her. Yeah. Kids are jerks. Yeah. This caused her gra- grades to falter, and she was kicked out of several parochial schools. Oh. Eventually, she landed in Richmond Hill High School, but she didn't fare any better in public school and was expelled from Richmond Hill. <sighs> she didn't give up on school completely, though, and got her GED instead. All right. Things were no better at home, really. Katrine had long since remarried, but Cindy's stepfather was a predatory abuser. Oh. I'm not sure if he actually did touch Cindy, but he did beat her mother, threatened to beat Cindy's grandparents, and threatened to rape her and her sister. The fuck? Yeah. 
After she caught him spying on her while she was bathing, she'd had enough and decided to leave home. That's fucking... That's That's gross. disgusting. Fucking gross piece of shit. I hope he's dead. (laughs) I mean, I also said because it's plausible that he is dead now. Yeah, I assume he is. Um, If not, what the fuck, universe? Yeah. Come on. People you've taken from us, but not him? Yeah. Come on. Come on. Get with it. So it was 1970 and she was only 17, but she packed her shit and left. She put a toothbrush, underwear, an apple, and a copy of the book Grapefruit by Yoko Ono into a brown paper bag, grabbed her dog Sparkle, said goodbye, and took off. Oh, Sparkle! 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 (laughs) One pair of underwear? Apparently only one. Huh. I would have at least gone with three, but that's just me. I just, why not throw all of them in there? They don't take up much space. They really don't. No. Word of advice, if you're going to run away, put all your underwear in there. Yeah, just take it all. And But don't but don't forget Sparkle either. Yeah. I mean, if you take all of your underwear, less likely your gross stepfather, you know, is going to take them and use them for his own needs. <laughs> gross. Her intent was to find somewhere to study art, but she ended up hitchhiking to Canada. Huh. As you can imagine, hitchhiking in 1970 wasn't exactly the safest activity, Mm-mm. and Cindy found herself in a few dangerous situations. That included one instance where a man that picked her up forced her, pre- forced her to perform a sex act in exchange for a ride. Ugh. Fucking. But also, I'm so glad she didn't get picked up by a serial killer. Right. I guess it could have been worse. in 1970, serial killers mm. that picked up hitchhikers were mm-hmm. like fucking everywhere. I feel like one out of every five, it would be a, a at serial least, killer. At least. Yeah. Eventually, she made it to Algonquin Park in southeastern Ontario, Canada. Hmm. She bummed around the park for a couple weeks with the intention of finding herself and studying trees, but really, she only found that she was broken homeless. So, oh. so she. Tra- oh God, that's really sad. I'm yeah. gonna find myself. God damn it, I'm just broken homeless. I mean, she did, she did there what she set out to do. She studied trees. She drew and painted, and you know, did her art, and you know, but. <sighs> I studied trees. Yeah, I don't really know. Like this, this isn't like Middle Earth, man. You're not a (laughs) druid. You're not gonna be like. She really wanted to be though. Really radagasting Canada right now. (laughs) Radagasting all over Canada. Yep, radagasting all (laughs) over Canada. Yo, I'm studying these trees. Yo, I'm gonna find some rabbits and like make a rabbit sled. (laughs) Like, and everyone's like, "Honey, she's just on PCP. It's fine. Just keep (laughs) walking." It's fine. It's fine. Kids these days. Right? So she traveled back to the U.S., hitchhiking and living in a tent, eventually landing herself in Vermont. She enrolled in Johnson State College and started taking art classes and moved in with her boyfriend at the time, where he infamously would kill squirrels for them to eat. Huh. Yeah. Just like Beth Ditto did back in Arkansas. Right. Yeah, I guess. Remember that? But you're in Vermont. Yeah. Vermont in the 70s was a very different place than Vermont in the 2010s. I don't think it was. (laughs) I bet people still do this. Yeah, but I don't think they do it where she was. Because where she she was going to college was very close to where my sister lives. Oh, yeah, that's kind of bougie. Which is not that far from Burlington. Yeah. So I think back in the day, maybe... Yeah, Burlington wasn't as big of a, if you could call it a big city now, but it wasn't as big of a city then as it is now. All right. And it was a little more rural back then. Rural. So yeah, if you're a homeless person living in a tent or living in a cabin and you don't really have money to eat, 
and you don't really have a job, yeah, you can spend your day killing some squirrels. All right. All right. I'm here for it. She kept herself afloat working odd jobs while she was in school, which included hawking karate lessons, waitressing, and even working as a hostess at a Japanese restaurant. Oh. And when I say hostess at a Japanese restaurant, I mean one of those Japanese restaurants that caters to Japanese businessmen. Okay. Where they expect the women to entertain them much like a geisha would. Oh. Like, not really perform sexual favors no no just keep them company entertain them maybe dance a little bit serve them food yeah like i that. mean honestly geishas a lot of people refer to them as prostitutes but they are more they're like not. entertainment prostitutes they're like where companions they're, yeah they're just like here for fun mm-hmm. i mean yeah of course some geishas get slept with but not all of them yeah and it seems that a lot of japanese businessmen really like having um non-japanese hostesses because that's a big deal in japan too as a japanophile or at least a former japanophile i can i feel safely accurate saying yes japan really likes european descent women yes uh big blue eyes blonde hair very pale skin yes it's a bit of a thing for them i mean anime yeah 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 boobs (laughs) Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> See, you're not going to get that behind the music. <laughs> uh, after her classes were done in early 1970, she found herself back in New York City. This was when she really started focusing on music, lending her four-octave vocal range to various cover bands. Ooh. She landed a job as a backup singer and dancer in a band called Doc West. She was featured in a Janis Joplin tribute, which was basically a lookalike copycat rendition of some Janis hits, and yeah. she would play Janis Joplin. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, <laughs> hey, but she, you know how I feel about tribute groups, so yeah, of course I can see this. She hated it. They would make her wear this like pin-curled wig and oh platform God. shoes and like scream Janis Joplin songs. She wasn't and about that life. She didn't like it. No. She wasn't happy dressing up and playing a Janis Joplin copy- copycat. So she quit Doc West and started another cover band called Flyer and toured the Long Island bar circuit. Yeah, they were just doing covers again, but it was more rock-oriented, covering songs by the Rolling Stones, Rod Stewart, and the like, and she wasn't forced to wear a pin-curled wig and sing yeah. Janis Joplin songs. All right. I mean... A cover band is one thing. A tribute band, totally different. Yeah, I'm not here for tribute bands. I can just barely deal with cover bands. Right. Tribute bands, not my thing. Yeah. Like when we went to see the oh, Rumors. We saw yeah. And uh, I did not realize they were a tribute band. Oh, yeah. Complete with wigs and fake British accents. Same with uh, Queen for a Day or whatever they're almost called. Almost Queen. Almost Queen. <laughs> queen I don't for a Day. It's a better name than Almost they Queen. They should have. Well. Yeah. They should yeah. have named themselves that. Yeah. When my friend's like, we should go see Almost Queen. I'm like, why? No. <laughs> why would you want? You love Queen, Maggie. Yeah. Why would I want to see Almost like, Queen? Like, yeah. I love Queen. Not fake Queen. Queen. Don't even like fake queen with adam lambert and the john deacon they got wasn't even trying i am particular about my john deacons it's true i am he's no joe manzello that's all i can say 
But still, even with Flyer, she wasn't happy. She wanted something more than just covers, something more characteristically Cindy. But that wouldn't happen for several more years. And sadly, some rough times were immediately ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Rougher than, like, living homeless and... Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Buckle up. Yeah. All right. Buckled. For starters, around 1976, when Cindy was 23, she became pregnant by her then-boyfriend... <gasps> This was especially surprising because she was previously diagnosed with endometriosis and was told by doctors she would not be able to have children. I don't think that's how endometriosis works, but I guess they can go hand in hand. But no. I think there was something, some bigger complication than okay. endometriosis. I was going to say, because endometriosis is not at all a diagnosis saying you can't have kids. The same with no. PCOS. It makes it more difficult. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. You're barren. No, that's not. How but it I works. could also see doctors in the 70s and early 80s being like, "Looks like your vagina don't work." Right. Because there is still a pretty bad epidemic of doctors not listening to women when mm. they have medical issues. Mm. In the 70s, it was even worse. Mm -hmm. So they were probably just like, "Oh, you're never having kids. Get the fuck out of my office." Yeah. So light up a cigarette as they walk out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think. That she was, I don't think that they being were too, barren yeah. was at a good diagnosis at all because clearly she was not. Yeah, I mean, she got pregnant. She got pregnant, and also she got pregnant again and had a child in 1997. There you go. So wrong. <laughs> so yeah, she got pregnant when she was 23, and didn't think she could. Also surprising was her boyfriend's reaction to the pregnancy. He wanted her to have an abortion. Okay. She was really disappointed in his reaction. She knew they weren't really in a position to have a child, but it broke her heart to see that he didn't have much of a concern for the child. Mm. She ended up having an abortion, and although she didn't regret having it, she has expressed wonder at what life would have turned out like had she kept the baby. So you're saying abortion is a complicated issue? Yeah. Huh. We're just going to leave that there. Yeah. Hmm. The abortion also influenced her a great deal later in life to become a big advocate for pro-choice causes in legalizing abortion in the United States. Huh. So hmm. you can have an abortion that you don't really want, but still understand that pro-abortion is okay. Huh. Like women are allowed to make a choice? Nah. Women are stupid. What are you talking about? We are not a political con uh, podcast. We will not go into that. <laughs> no, no. No. We're leaving that there. Yeah. Just leave it there. But even more serious shit was coming. In 1977, Cindy did some really destructive damage to her vocal cords that nearly sidelined her singing career for good. Wow. Her voice had been cracking for years, and some nights she was good to sing, and other nights she could barely get out a squeak. But one night, she went real hard belting out some Rolling Stones tune, and her vocal cord collapsed. What? She couldn't even talk, let alone sing. That's horrifying. Yeah. Okay. She went to several doctors searching for an answer to her prayers that her voice could be restored, but all the doctors told her, again, she would never sing again. <laughs> Once again, doctors are wrong. Your vagina's broken. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your voice is broken. <laughs> sorry. I was looking at the wrong hole. It's 1978. What's a vagina? Ears, nose, and throat doctor slash gynecologist. <laughs> On occasion, we'll play your gynecologist <laughs> for the right price. Uh, Maybe a payday? Yeah. Maybe a Maybe Mars bar? I do enjoy those mounds. 
You're welcome. You won't get this if I the music. So she took a year off from the band and nearly defeated, she tried to get her voice back. It was the girl who replaced her in Flyer during her recuperation that recommended Cindy see Katie Agresta, a classically trained vocal coach. Vocal coach. I was going to say, all girl needs is the right vocal coach. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, in every story where you hear about a vocalist who loses their voice, almost because they're doing it wrong, they're doing it wrong. They can get it back, but you can't go to a doctor for that shit because they don't know how to sing. Unless you right. go to a singing doctor. Right. You need to go. A singing doctor. Yup. <laughs> yup. Picturing a fucking doctor <laughs> breaking out into song. Open while up he... your mouth and I'm going to look in with my stethoscope. <laughs> that is not how doctoring works. <laughs> Just a fucking singing gynecologist <laughs> singing into your vagina. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a pap smear. Put your butt down. <laughs> Stop lifting. Now here comes your colposcopy. <laughs> Time for a mammogram. <laughs> this will only hurt a little. It, it hurts way more than yeah. that. It's more than Colposcopies fucking hurt. Ow. Yeah. But the point is, yes, you just need a good fucking voice coach. Yeah. And she did it. And this lady was a good fucking vocal cord. Vocal Coach, why can't I say that? (laughs) With Katie's help, Cindy was able to get her vocal cords back in perfect working order within a year. Nice. Now, at some point during these few years, and I'm not exactly sure of the timeline here, and I think that information has been kept secret because Cindy didn't want to name names. Okay. But Cindy was sexually assaulted by not one, but multiple members of a band she was in. Oh. This apparently happened sometime in the early 80s, though I'm not 100% sure what band she was in, whether it was Doc West or Flyer. She said it was during her time with cover bands, but that timeline doesn't really match up. Right. But anyway, a male member of this band initiated a harrowing assault on Cindy while on tour in Long Island. He was goofing around with a sex toy, but that quickly turned sinister when he started brandishing it at Cindy. His girlfriend and girlfriend's sister then attempted to grab her, but she broke free and ran. They caught her, pulled her pants down, and proceeded to use the sex toy on her. That's fucking disgusting. Absolutely horrid. The fucking fact that women were involved Mm -hmm. in that? Fuck you. I hope they're dead. Yeah. Um... And she said when everything was all over, the guy's girlfriend went into the bathroom and she followed her in there and just like ran after her. And she's like, why did you do this? And the girl was like, well, I love him and I just want to make him happy. So I did it. I did what he told me to do. Nope. Like, no, that's not what you do. That's not what you do. You stand by other women. That's what you fucking do. If my. If your boyfriend is a sexual assaulter. Um, hey, dump him. If your boyfriend says, hey, hold this chick down while I sexually assault her, that's when you might start thinking that this relationship isn't quite healthy and you should get out of it. If you're and wondering also, where the red flag is, it's there. Yeah. That's where it is. That flag isn't just red. It is on fucking fire. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out of there. <laughs> 
So she was shocked by the incident, of course. This was obviously a pretty devastating thing to happen, but she was more shocked that women were involved. Yeah. It wasn't just a guy raping a woman. It also involved two other women. It made her realize that sexual assault isn't just male on female, but women can be aggressors too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a horrific thing to live through, but Cindy stayed in the band. Oh, my God. In her words, she said she realized it was a power struggle. She had become the lead singer of this band, but maybe the other members were trying to put her in her place. I think that's kind of a cop out reason. I think I think it was more of I need money and I'm in a desperate situation and I have to stay in this band. Right. I mean, either no matter what her reasoning is. You know, I'm sure she was aware of what her choice was and, and she made the choice she right. needed to make at the time. Right. And it's unfortunately a decision that so many women have to deal with. And I think back then it was a lot different. Yeah. Unfortunately, you have to this, stay with where you're at because what are you going to do? What are you going to say something? Either nobody's going to go, believe you or nobody's going to care. Yeah. Are you going to go to the cops? Because the cops care. aren't going to help you in 1970 or whatever. No. They're not going to give a shit. Jesus. Yeah. Especially in New York City. New York City cops don't have time to deal with your fucking rape. No. But whatever the reason for it, she wasn't going to let it stop her from pursuing her dreams, so she stayed with the band until she could find something better. Okay. So she got herself a manager by the name of Ted Rosenblatt and started doing solo shows. Her very first solo gig was at Trude Heller's nightclub in Manhattan. Ted came to see her play one night and brought along songwriter and saxophonist John Turry. Cindy and John hit it off creatively right off the bat and soon started collaborating on music. You know why? Because saxophonist knows what's up. Yeah. They got the sexy tunes they know. Mm, They got them sexy Mm -hmm. tunes with them sexy saxes. They formed the rockabilly band Blue Angel in 1978, and by 1979 they had a demo tape of original songs to shop around. They caught the eye of Steve Masarski, the manager of the Allman Brothers Band, who became their manager after hearing Cindy sing. And that was really the only reason he was interested. He thought the demo was full of awful songs, but he liked Cindy's voice. (laughs) (laughs) So he caught one of their shows at a New York City club called Tracks. He was blown away by Cindy, of whom he said, I never heard anything like it. She was tripping over the other players and knocking things down as she walked, but she was magnificent. She's just so unusual. (laughs) She's also a fucking klutz on stage. Have you ever seen any live performances of hers she is all over the place like a drunk cat it's ridiculous oh my god she just like falling all over knocking shit over what doesn't matter i love it she's just i feel that yeah i feel that aesthetic yeah on a personal level (laughs) masarski set up a showcase for the band to drum up label interest but no one wanted the band it was cindy herself they wanted okay but she didn't want to sign any contracts unless she could bring the band along. And eventually Polydor Records came a knock in with a record deal for the whole band. Yay! Blue Angel released their self-titled debut in 1980 to a resounding meh. (laughs) (laughs) Meh! Despite the the best, not the worst, meh. meh. Yeah. Despite the fact that critics love the album, it just didn't sell. And in true shitty record label fashion, Polydor demanded some banger hits from them before they could even step back into the studio to record their second album. But how can you have a banger hit if you don't record it? Yeah. If you're not in the studio to write it, how can you record it? It I guess live performances? (sighs) Whatever. 
It was all too much for Blue Angel. The band fired Masarski and broke up. Oh, no. But Masarski wasn't going out without a fight. He fi- filed a lawsuit against the band for $80,000 he said they owed him. Oh, okay. Cindy and some other members of the band responded by filing for bankruptcy because they're fucking broke. They don't have $80,000. give you money that you didn't even earn anyway because we don't have money. Yeah, like the record label maybe should be paying that to you because they didn't bother promoting it. Yeah, actually. Good point. Hmm. Yeah. In the winter of 1983, the judge granted her bankruptcy filing by banging his gavel and saying, let the canary sing. Oh. He actually said that. Called her a canary because she had hair. The canary hair. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's an interesting choice of words for the judge, but all right. Yeah. I think he was kind of saying it sarcastically, like, let the canary sing. Yeah, that's what I assumed. And she wanted to sing. And now that Blue Angel was a goner, she could do her own solo thing. But she was also broke-ass broke. So she again broke went ass broke. <laughs> broke ass broke. So she again went back to doing any old job that she could to make money. She worked at a vintage clothing store called Screaming Mimi's that would have a huge influence on her wardrobe. I mean, yeah, yeah. If somebody looks like a thrift store queen, is Cindy Lauper? Yeah, and she even said like she didn't really even make any money when she was working there because every time she got a paycheck, she blew it all on clothing in the store. Yeah, that's if I worked at a thrift store. Same. I did that when I worked at H&M. I yeah. would get paid and then buy a ton of shit I had on hold. Yeah. <laughs> she was also a waitress at IHOP, but quit after being demoted to hostess after she spoke out about the manager making a pass at her. How dare she? No. Women. How dare you? How dare she? I'm offended. And she even worked as a horse walker at the Belmont Raceway. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. But Actually, she sounds like a really fun job. I want to walk horses now. <laughs> but she said that... uh as soon as one of the horses, like, reared, it got spooked or something and reared and, like, flung her out in the air. Then she was like, yeah, I quit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that can tiny. be dangerous. Yeah. She's a tiny girl. A horse can flip she, like, her. like, 4'11", maybe 5 foot at best. She's probably, like, maybe 5'1", five, 5'2", five, maybe. Yeah, she's a short little thing. Yeah. In the meantime, she continued to play solo shows at clubs in the metropolitan area. It was one of these gigs in 1981 that she met musician and manager David Wolfe. He took over as Cindy's manager, and not long afterward, they started dating, too. Because Ooh. David Wolf's band Archangel was already signed to CBS subsidiary Portrait Records, he was able to put Cindy in contact with execs at the label. She signed a portrait in the spring of 1983 and immediately went into the studio to start working on her first solo record. It became pretty clear to Cindy that she and the record label had differing opinions over how her music should be handled. Portrait gave Cindy a lineup of songwriters to work with, making it pretty clear they only cared about her as a vocal talent, not a songwriter. Nevertheless, She's So Unusual debuted on October 14th, 1983. Just before the album came out, the first single, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, was released in September of 1983. And it was massive. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, was Girls Just Wanna Have Fun a big hit? I don't know if I've heard that song yeah. before. No, nobody has. I don't know if it that's just, a jam that I've been listening to since, just, I don't know, I was in the fucking womb. It just quietly went under the radar and never really made much Actually, of literally, since we were in the womb. Yeah, because... We have heard that song. Yeah, because I was born in December 1983 and it came out in September 1983. And I was born February 1984. Yeah. All right. Look at us. But 
We it's grew up with that fucking song. Literally. That's our song. We grew in the womb to that song. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it it's basically the poster song for the 80s. Yeah, and point. I think it's really the poster song for any young girl who starts to like discover herself. Mm-hmm. I, like I remember being like I don't know like 8 or 9, maybe 10 and like really discovering the song and getting yeah. so into it and I was like this is the best song ever because girls do just want to have fun <laughs> because we do yeah you know what we want to do have fun we want to have fucking fun yeah. just let us have some fucking fun <laughs> that's all we want god damn it girls just want to have fun immediately went on heavy rotation on mtv because this was the mtv age mm-hmm. by now yo that's a banger of a video yeah and and also on the radio searing itself permanently into the minds of everyone from baby boomers to future millennials yep It peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. and went to number one in 10 other countries, eventually going platinum. But it's a cover. Mm, I'll get to it. Oh, I was like, is she going to get to it? She's going to get to it. At first, Cindy didn't want to record the song. What many people don't know is that this was actually a cover of an old Robert Hazard song that was never released. Hazard's version of the song was relatively chauvinistic from the male's point of view. Yeah. Saying basically, girls just want to have fun with him, essentially in the bedroom. Oh. Oh, that's not how I read that. Yeah. But it might be because I was not at all attracted to him. Well, like, that was this. It wasn't was, that much more before. It was only a few years, right? Early seven or late 70s, I think. I mean, I f- it's somewhere between like 78 and 80. I feel like he recorded it. Yeah. Um, either way. What Cindy got from it was that he was insinuating that girls want to have fun with him in a sexual way. Mm. It was mostly implied mm. from the lyrics. It wasn't explicit. Yeah. However, she decided to change the lyrics. This took the song from a male point of view to a woman's, creating a feminist anthem that told the listener that women just want to do all the things that men can do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and since this was now the age of MTV, of course there was a now iconic music video to go along with the hit single. The video included a bevy of cameos, including Cindy's mother, Katrine, playing, of course, Cindy's Cindy's mother. mother. And most notably, WWF wrestler Captain Lou Albano playing Cindy's father. Both Captain Lou and Katrine would appear in Cindy's music video for her next single, Time After Time, mm-hmm. which was also a smash hit and Cindy's first number one hit in the U.S. It has nipper in it. It does have nipper in it. <laughs> nipper! <laughs> it was another song with an iconic music video. Captain Lou played a, a diner cook. Katrine played, of course, again, Cindy's mom. Yeah. And David Wolf played Cindy's boyfriend. Good. Yeah. yeah. Ah, I was always like... He cute though. He was really cute back then. Even as he got older, as he like in the behind the music that I watched, he was older and he had long gray hair. And I'm Mm. like, you kind of look like Bob from Twin Peaks, but I'm here for it. Like you look like Bob if he tried to take care of himself. Yeah, and wasn't fucking psychotic. (laughs) I mean, also that maybe he didn't live in a cabin in the woods. Yeah, yeah, that too. It's sexy Bob. From sexy Twin Bob Peaks. from Twin Peaks. <laughs> oh. Ooh. That's a, like a good stripper persona. <laughs> Can we like just open up a weird strip club where it's like yes. you have to be like. But you have, you have to be something from like some. Some like weird geek, cult. Some weird geeky geekery cult 
TV show. Yeah, or movie or something. Yeah. Like, sexy Wayne and Garth. Oh, my God. Definitely, or, like, a, a sexy fox from X-Files. Oh, I mean, a sexy... Fox <laughs> was sexy. What are you what talking about? Like, we obviously cannot get... Um, What's his name? David Duchovny. We cannot get David Duchovny. Well, I don't want David Duchovny now. I would only want David Duchovny back in the 90s to be a sexy Fox Mulder stripper. This concept is getting a little too hot for me, <laughs> and I think we need to go back to talking about Sydney. Okay, we'll we talk about this later. To. This is an off-mic conversation, <laughs> but we should make this strip club happen. Yes, please. Yeah. Please. All three of them came back to appear in the video for her next single, Shebop. Back in the day, mm-hmm. Cindy never explicitly said the song was about masturbation. But it is. Which was a smart move because that meant it could still get airplay despite being on the Parents Music Resource Center's Filthy 15 list. Ooh. But later she... What a list to be on, though. I know. Mm. And that list was the uh, predecessor of the parental advisory sticker. <sighs> yes. Your kids are masturbating whether they know it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. You can't stop. Just can't like, stop, won't stop. Still, even now, Guys, can't stop, won't stop. Like, this is the thing that's going to carry them throughout their lives and bring them a whole lot of joy. Yeah. So just let them fucking do it. Like, they're not doing it in front of you. Yeah. Like, they're, just they're let them masturbate. Doing, just don't do it on the bus. And you're fine. <laughs> is that where the standard lies? Don't, don't masturbate do it on, the bus. on the bus. Please. Just don't masturbate on the bus. That's Or fair. the subway. Or any public transportation. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Anywhere that other people have to share in your space. Yeah. Don't do it there. Anywhere else. I really wish in it. New York City they would just put straight up don't masturbate here signs <laughs> don't in the subway. fucking masturbate. Keep it I have your, seen it way too much. Keep your hands out of your pants and everybody will be fucking fine. Like, they try real hard to be like, see something, say something. It's just be like, don't fucking masturbate here. This yeah. isn't a masturbate And I kind of feel like people that, are, people that are already masturbating in public, if you point at them and say, you're masturbating. They're like, yeah, you noticed. I'm like, oh yeah, keep saying that. They're just going to like it. <sighs> They're the... Nah. No. All right. Anyway. Sorry, we digress. This is getting way too... Sydney Lauper's getting us way too hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> turn into a triple X podcast soon enough. Later on, she would confirm that the song's true... She would confirm the song's true masturbatory meaning and show that, yes, women can masturbate too. What? And no, it's not wrong or weird. What? Yeah, we, we also poop and fart. It happens. What? No. We do these things. No. We... Do these things, I promise. We smell like perfume all the time. Well, yeah, but also and we poop. I can't poop. lift more than ten pounds. <laughs> Her videos had a huge impact on MTV, and MTV had a huge impact on Cindy because Cindy was such a visual persona. Music videos helped audiences get the whole package. People realized the music and her crazy hair and outfits were almost symbiotic. You couldn't have one without the other. Mm. And people loved it. For mm. once, she finally fit in and her new home was MTV. Yeah. By this time, Captain Lou Albano had appeared in a number of Cindy's music videos. The two had become friends while Cindy was still in Blue Angel, having sat next to each other on a plane ride from Puerto Rico. Oh, fun. Cindy's manager boyfriend, David, was a huge wrestling fan and had a stroke of genius, or maybe stupidity, as some would argue, <laughs> when thinking of ways to drum up more publicity. He convinced the WWF, as it was known at the time, to cross-promote. 
they were the predecessor of the WWE, which operates currently. Yes. In case you did not know. In case you don't know. It is not the world, or the world, wild, wide world. No, wait. What's the one with the panda? It's not the World Wildlife Federation (laughs) or Foundation. The Wild World Wildlife Federation. Wow. Or Foundation. I think it's Foundation. Whatever. Wrestling. Yeah. Because WWF pandas. wrestling was World Wrestling Federation. Yes. WWF, the wildlife thing, was, was a World, World wildlife, wildlife Foundation. Yes. Got it. But if you mix them together, you get wrestling pandas. <laughs> I I don't know if that would have made enough money for them um, to keep going. I think it would have made more money than either of those organizations <laughs> combined. Yeah, true. But they're so cute. I don't want them to fight. They can't. No. They can't even fat. fuck. Yeah, they're too fat. Yeah. <laughs> Vince McMahon, owner of the WWF, agree- <sighs> our favorite. Sorry, that, that warranted a groan. That w- warranted a Liz Lemon eye roll <sighs> real hard. Uh, he agreed to play Cindy's music videos at wrestling events and Cindy hawked WWF events during appearances. So this was their cross promotion deal. She even showed up to the Grammys with Hulk Hogan as her bodyguard. Oh, that's kind of fun, actually. After a while, Cindy started appearing on the WWF's televised events. Her first appearance was on Rowdy Roddy Piper's Piper's Pit segment. (laughs) What started as a nice interview turned into a table-flipping slap fight after Captain Lou took credit for Cindy's fame and fortune and for writing Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yes. And time after time. And time after time and basically everything Cindy ever did. Also, Rowdy Roddy Piper really liked saying... She's showed up time, time after, after time, time. Time after time. He made that joke a lot. Yeah, he did. He didn't know what else to say. But people loved it, and it gave Captain Lou, who had long since stopped physically wrestling, a reason to stay on with the company. Oh. So they came up with an idea to make Cindy a sidekick to Wendy Richter and Captain Lou a sidekick to the fabulous Moolah. And also make him wear rubber bands in his face. He did that himself. I know. But I don't, why? I don't know. It's just so distracting when you see a why video of him. Why is he on your face? And I'm like, why do you have a rubber band hanging on your face? Get it off. I just want to, like, yank it off. Yeah. It was really hard to watch those videos. It's so weird. He was such a weird guy. Weird My man. grandmother loved him, though. Oh. <laughs> so their storyline waxed and waned throughout the year. With Cindy again playing the part of Richter's sidekick and also part of Hulk Hogan's cheer section in the very first WrestleMania event on March 31st, 1985. Oh, that's fun. But WrestleMania wasn't the end of Cindy's tenure with the WWF. In 1985, David Wolf produced the wrestling album during the height of what was called the Rock and Wrestling Connection era, which Cindy helped launch with the cross-promotion ideas. Oh my god, he, promo- he, he produced, produced that? It. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> Yes, this was the album where all of the wrestlers have a song, have a song, sang, perform their own songs. And uh, it's a gem. It is a gem. If you are a fan of music and wrestling like we are, we highly suggest it. Oh, you should check that out. And also if you're a fan of laughter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If you need a good laugh after this long and dreary winter, listen to the wrestling album. Yeah. It'll help you get out of your depression. Truth. Or make you more depressed. I don't really know. I mean, I hope it takes you out of it. Yeah, it should. Cindy then recruited the likes of the Iron Sheik, Roddy Piper, and their <laughs> and her other pro wrestler friends to be in the video for Goonies Are Good Enough, the main single off the soundtrack for the movie The Goonies. Yeah. 
Cindy didn't just sing a song for the soundtrack and leave it at that. She was asked by Steven Spielberg himself to be the musical director for the album. She was the reason the Bangles, who at the time were relatively unknown, got onto the album with their song, I Got Nothing. Oh. So, yeah, Prince wrote Manic Monday, and that was a huge hit for them, but Mm -hmm. it was Cindy Lauper that got them their big break. There you go. Women helping women. Yeah. That's what you need. But it was time for Cindy to move on from wrestling. She had been doing cross promotion with the WWF for a couple years, and the company was starting to treat her like a wrestler and not a pop singer. Mm. She knew it was time to leave and start working on a new album. But, like, how much fun is that? Can you imagine if we got big enough that the WWE was like, we want you to come help with wrestling stuff? Yeah. How amazing would that be? I would would be into it. I'm sure it was very... so much fun. I'm sure it was very different back then, but, I mean... You got to think about it as much as I mean, in the last few years, the WWE has done a lot to get um, female wrestling a spotlight. Yeah. Despite my many issues with Vince McMahon and the way he treats some female wrestlers. Most female wrestlers. Most female wrestlers. (laughs) um, And you know what? Even male ones. Yeah. Vince McMahon overall is a problematic human being. Vince McMahon is a shit manager. I mean, that's period. also he's a, a shit CEO. He makes terrible decisions. Come for me, I don't care. He is. I think most people kind of agree with me. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know who would disagree. <laughs> I don't think with anybody that. would really disagree with me. But he's a shit fucking CEO. Yeah, he really is. And he treats a lot of his female wrestlers like garbage and mm-hmm. just dismisses them for no good reason, even if they're really popular. Ozka, um, and she, they're getting better about that. I think they realized. That they made a huge mistake? We yes. made a huge mistake. Yes. <laughs> but despite how shitty Vince McMahon treats his women, his female wrestlers now. To women's. To women's. Um, back then, women's wrestling was virtually unheard of oh, in the WWF. Yeah, I mean, you had Glow, but even that was an underground thing. Yeah, and you had, and basically, Wendy Richter and uh, Leilani Kai, they were like the first some of the first female wrestlers for the WWF and they would recruit like the fabulous Moolah had been um, wrestling for years. She had to be 40 in that match against. Oh, at least she, she like won a women's championship in like 1952 and this was early eighties. Oh my. So, um, she, these, these women were some of the very first women to get a spotlight in the WWF and Cindy Lauper was integral to that because they wanted her to be a part of you know their whole thing so what could they do to keep her on oh make her a sidekick to another female and that gave more promotion to the female wrestlers and it draws more women into wrestling too which is a good idea yeah i mean honestly like I remember growing up and I got into wrestling in high school and, you know, people were like, but that's like a boys thing. It's not. Wrestling's fucking it's awesome. It's a bunch of hot, muscly, sweaty dudes slamming each other around. If that's not hot to women, I don't know what is. Seriously, though. And then, like, but now I'm way more into the women's stories than I am the men's yeah. anyway because I fucking love watching the women be badass. So, yeah, you're right. Cindy played a huge part in just... Making women in wrestling more acceptable. Yeah. Which is great. More acceptable and more accessible. Yeah. So, good for her. Hey, Cindy. I give zero credit to Vince McMahon. (laughs) Always. (laughs) 
So Cindy had to go into the studio and write another album, but her level of fame would make writing difficult. Her method of writing was walking through the streets of New York, watching people and gaining inspiration. But she couldn't do that anymore. What was worse, she couldn't wear her crazy outfits or jewelry because she would be recognized. Mm. And writing became an impossibly difficult task. That sucks. On top of that, her relationship with David wasn't going well. Once the business aspect crept into their relationship, things became strained. David, as her manager, also wanted to see her fame continue to rise. But Cindy knew that if that happened, her artistry would be lost. She'd just be another paper doll pop star. Right. So then he moved into the cabin in the woods. Really let himself go after that. (laughs) Got a uh, denim jacket. Sweet denim jacket. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) some like Agent Cooper or something, I guess. They had some run ins. Found a girl called Laura Palmer and things just went downhill. He looked way too much. She looked way too much like Cindy Lauper. She did. And that's why. She was like straight laced Cindy Lauper. Weird. But she David Lynch, we have questions. <laughs> Come here. We have questions. <laughs> but she had the pressure of a record label on her back and had to write something and write it now. On September 18th, 1986, she released her second album, True Colors. Oh, yes. Again, the label wanted her to work with outside writers only, but she ended up co-writing almost all of the songs on the album. Good. The song True Colors became her second number one hit, and all the proceeds from the single Boy Blue went to AIDS research. Nice. She dedicated the album to her friend Diana, a friend she knew in the 70s who was bullied for being transgender. Wow. Cindy was... Cl- yeah. 70s? 70s. Wow. I shouldn't be that surprised. Like, yes, of course, transgender people have been around forever, but... You'd never you heard hear a lot of, of stories. anybody, any it's transgender rare. people in the 70s. Um, Cindy was close friends with Diana's cousin Gregory, who died of AIDS during recording, mm. which was the impetus for her donating proceeds to AIDS research. She made her first acting appearance in 1988 in the movie Vibes. Where I would she- actually argue her first acting per- appearance was in wrestling, but okay. Well, that was her training. That was her acting training. <laughs> but in Vibes, she played a psychic in search of a South American city of gold. Okay. The movie was a box office flop. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't a total defeat for Cindy, who took a break from acting but didn't give up on it completely. Instead, she released her third album, A Night to Remember, in early 1989. But when she went into the studio to record it, things between her and David came to a head. Ooh. They realized they wanted Cindy to go in two completely different ways. Cindy wanted to be artistic, from the soul singer-songwriter, but David wanted her to be a mega pop star. Right. The two couldn't compromise, and the relationship ended after nearly seven years together. Oh. She was also having problems with her record label at the time, realizing that they, too, wanted her to be like all the other pop stars out there. What resulted was a disappointing album with only one hit, a cover of Roy Orbison's I Drove All Night, oh. which would later be... This was originally done by Cindy. The uh, Roy Orbison version wouldn't come out until 1992, and then Celine Dion did a cover of it yes. later that was in a commercial for something that yeah. I can't remember. It's garbage. Yeah. But Cindy's version is really good. No, I mean, Celine Dion's version is garbage. Mm-hmm. Definitely. She took every ounce of creativity out of it and made it the most boring pop song ever. Woof. Which is basically what Celine Dion does. But however, in recent years, I have gained a lot of respect for her because she's hilarious on Twitter. All right. She's kind of just like the crazy old widow 
that just writes like like gets drunk on red wine and writes gibberish on Twitter. Oh, I love it. Yeah. All right, I'm here for you, Celine Dion. <laughs> but a night to remember didn't come anywhere near selling as much as she's so unusual or true colors. Yeah. After that, Cindy kind of started spinning. She had her record label telling her she didn't fit in yet again and pressuring her to be something she didn't want to be. The weight of the disappointment she felt from her label was crushing her and she went into a deep depression. Mm. She started drinking a bit too much and even contemplated suicide, but stopped herself because, as she says, the only thing that always prevented me from suicide is that I never wanted a headline to read, girl who wanted to have fun just didn't. Oh, God. Isn't that horrible? But, like, also, like, accurate. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Instead, she decided to walk away from music and enter into therapy. Through therapy, she worked through all the trauma she faced as a child and the homelessness of her teens and early 20s. Yeah. She got back on her feet mentally and emotionally, but she still wasn't ready to plunge back into music. So instead, she tried her hand at acting again. She was cast in the movie Off and Running, which again was a flop that went straight to video. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But on set, she met her co-star David Thornton, and the two fell in love, and they married in 1991 and had Little Richard officiate their wedding. That (laughs) is the best wedding I've ever heard of. It's it's so Cyndi Lauper. You know, of course, of course, little Do Richard appreciates like, her wedding. You now kiss the bride. <laughs> <laughs> I toot it, fruit it. Toot it, fruit it, bride. And you're <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> I don't know. This oh. works. Well, David encouraged Cindy to get back into music and supported her being unapologetically creative in her music. She released Hatful of Stars in June 1993, Mm. and although it was critically acclaimed, it went mostly unnoticed by fans. Yeah. Of course, Cindy was disappointed, but she understood that it was kind of a hard sell, especially for people who were expecting the same exuberance as She's So Unusual, and definitely because it dealt with issues like domestic violence, homophobia, abortion, and racism. Oh, like real issues. Yeah. Huh. But this was 1993. Oh, yeah. We were The height of grunge. And nobody wanted to hear this kind of stuff coming from a lady. Huh. Especially a lady who had kind of been out of the spotlight for a while. Scenes are weird. Yeah. Because I'd argue that grunge is fairly realistic in that life is terrible. But I think they're just too busy wallowing in life is terrible to, like, really talk about issues. Yeah, they did not talk about actual real political issues that much. Except for Pearl Jam. Eddie Vedder was pretty... He was really involved, especially in um uh the West Memphis three yeah, yeah, at that yeah, yeah. time. So truth. Huh. Eddie Vedder spoke out. Did anybody else? Not really. Mm. Everybody else just wanted to be sad. But you yeah. know what? That was just basically the adolescence for us of like I don't like terrible. Me. 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 They really Axel rosed it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Throughout the 90s and early 2000s, Cindy released several albums that hovered in the middle area. Not really successful, but not total flops. A lot of them were big hits overseas in countries like Australia and Japan. But she was doing what she wanted to do creatively, and that's what mattered to her. Also what mattered to her was her activism. In 2011, she opened the True Colors residence in Manhattan, Mm. which takes in teens that have been turned away from religious shelters because of their sexuality. A year later, she started the True Colors United to combat homelessness among LGBTQ youth. Yeah, I know she's very active in that scene. Super active. 
She has campaigned throughout her career for different gay-friendly charities and makes appearances at tons of gay pride events around the world. And she has been a huge supporter of the LGBTQ plus community practically her entire life, so it only made sense that that community would occupy a lot of her activism. But she also advocates for women's rights, defending everyone's right to legal abortion and contraceptives. These days, Cindy is still as busy as she ever was. She composed the music and lyrics for the Broadway musical Kinky Boots, yes, winning the Tony Award for Best Original Score. Yep. It was a huge hit and one of the longest running musicals on Broadway. Yeah, it's one I've always... I, You know, it's funny. When you move to New York City, you think you're going to see a lot of Broadway shows. You know what's expensive? Broadway, Broadway shows. shows. Yeah. Uh, I never get to see that one. And I do really want to see it. Um, the music's good. Costumes look fantastic. Yeah. And the, like, the story is really fun, too. Yeah. It's about, like, drag and all that stuff. So it's really a lot of issues that are close to her. I knew before it became a musical that it was a movie. That's I, right. I did not realize it was a movie that had been made so recently. Oh. I thought it was an older movie, like, from the late 80s, maybe. Same. No, it was, it was made in the 2000s. She's also still acting, having done guest appearances on Bones, Queer as Folk back oh, when yeah. it was still on, 30 Rock, Bob's Burgers, etc., etc. She, I love the Bob's <laughs> Burgers because they basically did the Goonies, but with the Taffy Factory. Yeah. And she rewrote Goodies Are Good Enough, but said she wrote, Taffy Butt, <laughs> it's in the Taffy Butt, wow, wow, wow. Oh my God, it's so good. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> And she's also guested on reality shows like America's Got Talent and The Celebrity Apprentice. Oh. Yeah. Oh. She even won an Emmy for her stint on the sitcom Mad About You. I forgot she was in that. Yeah. I she also was... forget about that sitcom frequently. And then when someone reminds me, just, it has a really sad ending, doesn't it? I think it did. I think everybody they, was like, very upset. At the end. Yeah, everybody was very upset about the ending, but it's like... Nah, that's probably the most real ending of any sitcom ever. You know, we binge watch, we re binge watch like Frasier and Friends. I would totally re binge watch Mad About You. Yeah, I'd probably hate it. I feel like Maybe. I, I would just probably feel like the two main characters are insufferable. You know what it is though? I just miss Helen Hunt. What happened to you? <laughs> you were so good. Remember Twister? Yeah. Yeah, I remember Twister. <laughs> yeah, I remember Twister. <laughs> anyway, but I totally forgot Cindy Lauper was in that. Yeah. And, of course, she's in all those psoriasis commercials. Oh, my <laughs> Can't forget about the psoriasis yeah, I commercials. I kind of did. <laughs> kind of did. Yeah. She released a country album in 2016 called what? Detour, which is comprised of truly Cindian interpretations of country classics by Dolly Parton, Pat Klein, Willie Nelson, and even a Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn song. I missed that. Yeah. In my listening. It's really not that bad. I trust Cindy Lauper musically. Um, I feel like she has been underrated a lot of times. Yes. When she shouldn't have been. And I think she knows what she's doing. So I would definitely give anything she puts out a shot. I'd be like, I bet it's going to be good. Even if it's not it good, good, it's probably fine. Yeah, it was good. Even a resounding meh is fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely... Country classics through a Cindy Lauper vector, hmm. and they're she makes them a little bit more upbeat and okay. a little bit less twangy and a little more rockabilly. All right, I'm I'm actually that sounds great. Yeah, they're that pretty sounds good. wonderful. It's pretty good. It actually works. 
Most recently, it was announced that Cindy and her Time After Time co-writer... Lou uh, Albino. No. (laughs) He wrote the whole thing. Are you kidding? (laughs) No, her co-writer... Rob Hyman will be composing the music for the Broadway version of the movie Working Girl. Oh, yeah. On why she asked Hyman to collaborate with her on this project, she said she wanted the music to sound like the 80s, which I think is her real sweet spot. That is her real sweet spot. And that's when 9 to 5 came out, isn't it? Yes. So, I mean, this all Well, not 9 to 5, Working Girl. That's right. Working Girl. I always want to call it 9 to 5. I always mix those up. I mix them up, too. Okay. That's not just me. Because they both star uh, blonde women with big hair. Well, no. 9 to 5 is a song, right? It was also a... Was it a TV show? Or a movie? Yeah. You are asking the wrong person about (laughs) that. The woman who doesn't watch anything. Yeah. No, I think it was was a movie. And Dolly Parton was in it. And that's why she wrote the song. Working Girl. She wrote the song 9 to 5. For Working Girl. For the movie 9 to 5. Wait, I'm so confused. (laughs) There's two movies, 9 to 5 and Working Girl. They're not the same movie? No. 9 to 5 stars Dolly Parton. Working Girl stars Melanie Griffith and Sigourney Weaver. Huh. (laughs) I haven't seen either of those. (laughs) They're both very good. I bet. (laughs) I bet they are. And now one of them's going to be a musical. I bet it is. Written by Cindy Lauper. You know what I don't like? Movies turned into musicals. I also don't like musicals turned into movies. Yeah. I know you don't like musicals. I don't like them, period. Yeah. So. You have exceptions. Hedwig is good. I liked. I like the movie. I have seen the movie. However, I don't feel like the movie is a musical. So much as it is a movie with music in it. Oh, it's a musical. All right, sure. You get everybody gets one. <laughs> Tell them, Ashley. I liked it. Yeah. You see, like that one. She's definitely had to deal with some bullshit, but I think she's really come out of everything real good. Um, she's still exceptionally well adjusted. Yeah, for I mean, all of the bullshit she had to go through. She's a fighter for sure. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, all the shit she's had to fucking dig herself through. And I kind of really wish that she would go back to the WWE because I would love to oh, see her on fucking like SmackDown or Monday Night Raw. Oh my God, be or like something ringside with like yeah. Becky, or something, and then just like get into a fucking clawing match with somebody oh my god yes she should just like mom one of the girls yeah she could be like a manager lady yes there needs to be more manager ladies in the wwe i mean cindy lopper's really our marriage of two of our favorite things music and wrestling yeah which that part of her career was just a stroke of genius i think i don't think it was stupid at all who thinks it was stupid i don't know some people from the internet yeah well, they're sure. wrong. Well, no. This was before the internet. <laughs> oh, some people from the streets? Yeah. I imagine before the internet, there was the streets. Yeah. I think some people at her record label were kind of dubious about well, it. Well, they're dumb. Because they were like, well, this is going to get in the way of her uh, making music. It did and, not. Well, it did for a little bit, but it was it was okay. Because she was still getting a shit ton of publicity for right. it. So, she probably off. definitely got... 
audience or an audience that she wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah. But I also kind of think that David Wolf made her do it because he wanted to be in the WWF. Oh my god. And if I would have done it. Yeah. And if you look if you watch videos of her during this, he was always there. Always. He was always on camera, always on the mic. Bob from Twin Peaks and WWE. Now that's all I'm thinking. Somebody needs to make that a character. Because, like, it would work. Yeah. Dean Ambrose should go Bob from Twin Peaks. <gasps> yup. All right. We got it for you. W- Vince McMahon, hear us now. <laughs> we got our. We got your fucking next two we months We are calling planned. on the corners to get Vince McMahon <laughs> oh to make Dean Ambrose the new Bob's, Bob from Twin Peaks. I mean, Peaks. he's close enough. He's already, like, three quarters of the way there. Just right? give him a denim jet. He might have a denim jacket oh, I'm already. I'm sure he has a denim jacket. Just give him a wig. Yeah. Give him a wig. Give him a wig. Because Matt it. Hardy's not doing it anymore because he would have been the surefire obvious answer for oh, that. Oh, yeah. He was... Re- if you just mold, like melded the two of them together, mm. they would have been the perfect Bob from Twin Peaks. Mm. What are Hire they- us, WWE. We have <laughs> ideas and they are great. Missed also, opportunity. bring back Cindy Lauper. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely need to put more of her on my rotation because you know what would be fucking perfect what i hate ronda rousey however yes they could make cindy like her new manager or sidekick which would make sense because cindy was involved with the original rowdy roddy piper right right yeah no that would totally make sense and that would probably make me actually like ronda rousey we should go go we should go watch wrestling narrowing my eyes Hmm. maybe same Clearly, we just need to bring back Cindy Lauper. <laughs> just bring back Cindy, and I fucking Lopper. like her. Yeah, just... I like whoever you throw her with. I don't care. Yeah, just we're here for bring Cindy. Her back. Yeah, <laughs> man, that was good though. I uh, I really enjoyed learning about Cindy Lauper. Feel... You learned a lot, didn't you? Because I learned a lot too. Yeah, there's a big old period of her career that I was like, "Where's Cindy Lauper?" Oh, there she is. She oh. had to deal with her shit. Yeah, and you know what? Good for her. We all need to take periods of our lives where we deal with our shit. Mm-hmm. And so she's overall great role model. Here for it. Pretty strong lady. And I am I am happy to have told her story. Yeah. We hope you are all happy to have learned it. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back, of course, next week with more stories. Interesting ones. More ladies. Because it's ladies month. Because it's more ladies month. And until then, if you want to go ahead, you can follow us on the social medias because we have Twitter at Rock Candy Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast and the website www.rockcandypodcast.com where you can comment or you can toss us an email or whatever. We like to chat. We'll chat you up. If you're really digging what you're hearing, maybe pop on that iTunes, maybe toss us five stars and say like, wow, you guys are awesome. Or, like, tell somebody that you know who has an iTunes account to do it for you. You know, just tell us the obvious things. But that everybody- we're awesome? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that the obvious yeah. thing? That, yeah. we're the, that we're the best around? Yeah. Nothing yeah. <laughs> ever going to get you down? Nothing. Nothing. God damn it. <laughs> but, yeah, that's sounds good to me. Alrighty. Till we'll next week. See you week. kids next week. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party Bye. on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye. Boobs out. Thank you. Boobs out for days.